This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with Rodders. Stand and Deliver! Hello and welcome to the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast with me, Rodders. I'm a stand-up comedian and I am the promoter of the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club in Reading, up above Smoking Billies. Uh, We're in St Mary's Butts, uh, to be precise, and that's not a euphemism. So what's the point of this podcast? If you haven't listened before, it's a little peek behind the curtain into the strange world of stand-up comedy and stand-up comedians. It's basically me having a chat with some of the great comics we've had pass through the doors at the Stand and Deliver Comedy Club and uh, some of the other comics that I've met uh, on the road at various other gigs I've been performing at myself. So who's on this week? We've got Izzy Lawrence. It's part two of my chat with Izzy. Uh, We talked for so long I couldn't cram it into one episode and it was a too interesting to delete. Oh, that's a quote you can put in your poster. Uh, I do urge you to go back to episode one of the podcast where me and Izzy talk predominantly about how comedians should and can handle hecklers. Because uh, it's normally the first thing comedians get asked about is is heckles. And, and why not? It's exciting and, and what's going to happen kind of thing. Um, so uh, before we get to uh, the headliner, which is Izzy, who's headlining my podcast today, I'm going to open the podcast with some nonsensical whimsy uh, about how my week's been. Uh, it's been all right, thanks. Um, I was lucky enough to have a really nice gig in Birmingham um, last weekend. I was uh, su- uh, was performing at the Mac Theatre, which is a, a, a huge art centre. I mean, it's so confusing. You know that weird painting where there's lots of stairs, or some some on the ceiling, some on the wall, um, and uh, it's basically like that. Getting from the room we perf- were performing into to the bar was a surrealist nightmare, and getting back from the bar was even worse for some reason. But yeah, I was. So Supporting Pete K. Malley. His uh, new tour is all about rock music. It's called Live and Loud. In fact, I'm supporting him in at the Epsom Playhouse, which is another awesome venue. Uh, go get tickets. PeteKMalley.co.uk or look at my website. I've got a link. I've got to say, what a brilliant city Birmingham is. I mean, it's got absolutely everything. I had a holiday in Solihull, which I know isn't technically Birmingham, but I went into Birmingham a lot. They've got climbing centres, which I love climbing. Uh, They've got every type of food imaginable in Brum. I don't know why. A lot of people I spoke to when I said, oh, yeah, I'm spending the weekend in Birmingham, they were like, "Mm." I was like, why are people so snobby about Birmingham? Let it be known. Uh, Birmingham has the prestigious Rodders seal of approval. Uh, But... After the gig, uh, I, I got a rather peculiar bit of advice off uh, one of the uh, audience members, or, or punters, uh, as comedians refer to them as in the trade. And uh, um, by the way, I'm not going to get into the habit of just telling you every time an audience member praises me, because it doesn't happen very often. You would do it once every 12 podcasts or something, or even less than that even. But there, there is a point to this. I'm not just repeating praise to massage my own ego I promise but a uh, uh, guy came up to me in the bar at, at the theatre and he said to me oh yeah it was, it was really good oh yeah you should definitely keep doing comedy you've really got something there uh, I said oh thank, thanks very much it's very kind of you and he said oh how old are you and I said I'm 27 and he said oh yeah keep going man I mean you've got three more years 
what? What's going to happen when I hit 30? Am I suddenly banned from comedy? Am I just going to die immediately? Um, <laughs> that would be an awful birthday party, wouldn't it? So I just, that, that struck me as really, really bizarre. I, I know there's quite a few comedians that listen to this on, on the way back from gigs and stuff, and uh, while, you're, while you're probably honing your material, um, I, I want to know, have you ever been given rubbish advice or strange advice from a punter after a gig. In fact, this could apply to uh, non-comedians. So uh, uh, I'm going to define punter as someone outside your chosen profession. Uh, so perhaps you're you're a builder, and uh, the old granny who you were building an extension for uh, told you uh, how to do grouting or, or whatever. Um, so have you ever had advice from a punter that was weird or just downright rubbish? Uh, email me info at rodders.com, r-h-o-d-d-e-r-s.com, or you can tweet me at rodders. Um, all the links to get hold of me are in the description of this podcast uh so yeah uh, send me those and we'll read them out on the next podcast another really bizarre bit of advice i got uh was <laughs> i think it was a it was a competition at the leicester square theater and i didn't do very well uh, so i was in quite a bad mood uh and usually like i don't like to give advice unless i'm directly asked and i normally refer people to more experienced comedians because um, i don't feel comfortable with giving advice often um I think most people are the same. If they're directly asked to give advice, then they will. Uh, but I think that if someone just gives advice unsolicited, it's a bit rude. Um, it's a bit odd. But there was this bloke who was just wandering around after the show, just giving advice willy-nilly to all of the acts. Um, and uh, the advice he gave to me said, Oh, I don't think you should call yourself Rodders, uh, because it makes me think that you're going to do a really bad impression of a builder. I, I, I just didn't know what to say to him. Luckily, he was very much into just talking at people and not really listening. Uh, didn't make a very good stand-up comic. Uh, but perhaps he was a character comic and we are all just being trolled. Uh, who knows? But the last thing I remember him saying before I completely lost the will to live and then uh, scuttled away to the underground to get my train home, uh, I hit him. He went up to another act and said, uh, Oh, I bet you get this all the time. And then proceeded to tell this act that he looked like a really obscure Dutch singer who had apparently been really big in the 60s. Um, unbelievable. Really bonkers. So, have you ever had any bizarre or just downright rubbish advice uh, from a punter? Be it as a stand-up comedian or be it another profession. I mean, if you really want to annoy a comic, just go up and give them loads of spurious advice, like go up to a one-liner comic and tell them that they need to do more storytelling. Uh, you'll, you'll get a great response from that, I'm sure. Uh, please don't do that. Uh, so, Let's get on to our headliner of the podcast today, Izzy Lawrence. Uh, it is part two of my interview with Izzy because, uh, well, we, we chatted for well over an hour, so I, I decided to make it a two-parter. This was recorded in a bar on the University of Reading campus and while Izzy was waiting for a jiu-jitsu lesson. The interesting thing about Izzy is that you'll find her taming drunks in some of the biggest comedy clubs in the country on a Saturday night, but also her work over the last couple of years has been diversifying into really quite highbrow podcasts and live shows about history and science and all sorts. Still very funny, but definitely slightly more Radio 4 orientated. In fact, she's been on Radio 4 as well. So we talk about that and we talk about whether it's possible to be both a lowbrow and a highbrow comedian. And Izzy also made the peculiar argument that doing stand-up comedy is exactly like jiu-jitsu. Here's Izzy Lawrence. This is the Stand and Deliver Comedy Podcast. With your comedy yeah. career, was how long would you say you've been pro for? And what well, people argue about what do they define as a professional comic? 
Well, I define it as I earn enough money not doing a real job. So I've been doing that since late 2010. So I'd say I've been pro since late 2010, early 2011. Excellent. You're all sort of here. You're all looking at me strangely, the way people do. I understand why. This look gets me in trouble quite a lot, as it happens. At Halloween, I went to um, a gig, and I went straight to a Halloween party afterwards, and accidentally won best costume. (laughs) Yeah. As I quote, the ghost of Sue Perkins. (laughs) I hate you for laughing at that. (laughs) At the same time, I am grateful, but... Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit frustrated at the moment anyway. I'm in a long-term relationship with a man, yes. A man. <laughs> I know. Some blokes in here are going, what, somebody wants to have sex with David Lynch? Yeah. I do quite a lot of podcasting now, which actually earns me money, and I, I sort of go, well, I could be doing the gigs I was doing, but... I can earn more sat at home editing stuff than... You get to pursue another interest and avenue. Well, this is the thing. I find the circuit, because I've been on it a long time and I've seen a lot of comedy, I don't find it as exciting as doing, say, a history gig where the audience isn't normal comedy audience. It's people who've gone, oh, I'll see if this is any good and maybe I'll know more facts than the person on stage and I will heckle them with actual errors in their research, <laughs> uh, which is a better heckle in many respects. It's a compliment if they've done their research before they heckle, isn't I've it, rather than yell obscenities. I've had some very good... But surely the printing press was in, and it's like, oh, OK. Uh, you, get, you, get the, you get the people... Now, I had a whole thing about the London Underground, an argument with a man about the London Underground and how... Anyway. But at least that means they're listening, aren't they? They're listening more intently than your average Saturday night, get off sort of heckle. Very much. And they're there, and it's more theatrical. It's more like doing Edinburgh. You've got that. It's often easier to get laughs because they're not there for the laughter. So they're not as invested in... They're not going, is this funny? They're going, is this factual? Oh, that's funny. So when you go back to the clubs, do you find that less challenging? Or is that just because the, the novelty is worn off and doing the, the history-type shows with the dead list, dead list is more, more like a, a bit more of an adventure? I think I think I prefer doing, and it's not just history. I do you know like the science shows as well. So I do um, like Ugly Animals, New Science Shelf, and I do Bright Clubs and things. And doing the this Dead List and doing those audiences, I find I have to write for them, which is a nice thing. So I do update material more often than I do for the stand-up show. If I'm doing a stand-up show, because because I'm, I'm not writing hours for stand-up anymore I am just writing material for history and stuff that I can do for that um, If it works for the audience if you think they're going to like it you chuck in some of the history stuff some of the cleverer stuff when you are doing the, the circuit so you can kind of do a best a bit of both and then if it's difficult then you can resort to the solid 20 I guess It's amazing it is basically I will chuck in a little bit of history sometimes and when I say chuck in, I will get the funniest of my history gags and put it in a normal set. And it will get a titter, it'll get a giggle, it'll get a laugh. Won't get a round of applause for a laugh and hysterics and having to stop for a minute like it will in a history gig. It's really interesting, just because the expectations are different. So in order to like take them out of their heads and to tell them something about history, 
it's like a gear change for them. So not if I'm starting, you know, I'll talk about, you know, coming out as bisexual and I'll talk about living with my boyfriend and I'll talk about doing jiu-jitsu and things like that with them. They're happy with that. Because I, I frame it in familiar concepts that they know about, like men and women gags and uh, relationship gags and cat gags and all the rest of it. So all of the... Even though what I'm talking about are unique stories to me, they're all in that broad comedy theme of this is life, this is relationships, this is general, this is stuff we can all buy into. If you suddenly start talking about, I don't know, a bisexual, six-foot-tall opera singing, cross-dressing... Um, it's less relatable, isn't it? <laughs> fighting none then, yeah, it is a bit less relatable. Well, it was unrelatable till he said none. <laughs> yeah, no, she was a nun as well. I was just trying to get all of the things. Or, you know, you can you can add as much, um, you know, spice in there, and people are interested, but they're kind of shocked. It's more shocking to talk about, you know, agriculture in the 12th century than it is to talk about your dick. Or Does it, in terms of you as a performer does it feel more dated like that was an earlier version of you doing the the more accessible stuff and does it feel like a like the, the comedy was it's sort of like a pathway to get to talk about what you really like which is history and science and all the all this stuff well I think no because I'm, I'm we're mixing up gigs so for the circuit work um, some of the go- gags are very old but I frame them in a modern context other ones are ones I wrote ages ago which I brought back in other ones are brand new and they just slip in rather nicely no lube required um, but it is that um, it, it's necessary to obviously stay fresh and up to date but equally if it comes up if I'm getting a heckle if I'm getting you know somebody coming at me saying you know, uh, budgies. I will do a budgie gag that I wrote when I was 19. You know, it is that I, I'm not one of these people who thinks, oh, you know, I've got to, once I've done a joke, then it's dead and I can't do it again because I did it a year ago. If I'm it's not, funny, if it's funny, and if you're not totally sick of saying it, then you might as well. If I, I wouldn't be saying this if I didn't have all the other writing going on. So I think learning to write and doing that is really important. And I do. I mean, almost every gig I've got a joke which is new or one or two times old. But some of my stuff is really old. And so take the history shows and the history podcast and then take the, the circuit gigs. Do those two sort of activities, they complement each other or are they kind of pulling in opposite directions? Because it must be hard. The more you do the, the highbrow stuff, the highbrow, people are booking highbrow and they see you doing a, a bluer set and they're going to think, oh, I'm not sure about that. And equally, if somebody wants a, a Saturday night comic and they find a clip of you talking about, I don't know, Aquinas or... Uh, some very obscure bit of medieval literature and they're going to think oh I'm not sure couldn't you end up being stuck in between both of those where one camp thinks you're the blue comic the other camp thinks you're too intellectual but I don't think I don't think I'm getting fans enough on the circuit for that to be a problem and the people who will be my fans on the circuit who I'll do a gig for on the circuit and go here's a gag they're the ones who will follow me to the history shows ah so they don't mind because they know your sort of style so whatever that style's delivering they'll listen to and you know even when I'm doing my bluer stuff I'm not my style is quite clever 
I'm not, you know, I, I'm considered to be quite an intellectual comedian, even when I am talking about cat masturbation <laughs> and stupid things like that. It is much better, though, than um, living with my old flatmates, because at university, I made the mistake of living with Christians. Now, if you are Christian, do know I do love you dearly. I'm going to make some jokes, okay? <laughs> right? It doesn't mean anything, right? It's just jokes. It's only words. It's like prayer. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I don't know. Like, there's one like your grand Christians. I was living with creationists. It was a bit like walking with dinosaurs, except they didn't believe in them, right? So there isn't the only you know the only pull and the only ties is where the money is. And that's a very business like head on. But you have to sort of go look. You know, I enjoy doing both. My time and investment is now more in the history side of things because that is where I'm earning more money. So if I'm not earning as much, because most comedians on the circuit know the wages are not going up and if anything they're decreasing. So it is a matter of do I want to be doing, you know, and there's a little bit more progress I can make on the circuit, but not that much. Whereas the history stuff is sort of this untapped. I guess it's weird because you would have thought the, the mainstream stuff would service and allow you to do the niche stuff. And it seems like the niche stuff could become more like lucrative and more beneficial than the other stuff in the future who knows I think I think if I'm doing the niche stuff I'll be earning four times as much as I would doing the circuit stuff just because you can't I guess not many people do that so if you drop out they can't just get anyone whereas if if somebody drops out of doing your Saturday night or whatever in the middle of London and you've got X amount of pounds to spend anyway and you can ring an agency and it's not too much of a disaster but I guess if someone the more specialist you can't get people in exactly and if you're doing tailored shows and you're doing tailored like I did a a feminist tour of the Dulwich Picture Gallery as an example of something which and you you have to you're using the thing is you can't do that sort of thing without having done a ton of public speaking so they told me to expect doing a 15 to 20 minute tour of the gallery just walking around the gallery with about 15 people now I show up and there are 75 people I've got a microphone there are 75 people so they can't see the paintings I'm talking about so I'm having to work the crowd make jokes about the fact they can't see it describe the pictures describe what they can see and get laughs in a whole new different way whilst dropping bits of material that I know won't work as I'm going <laughs> yeah. but it must be fun though you're, you're, you'd, go, you'd probably go to that you want to go to those galleries anyway so you're getting paid to show off at somewhere you quite like to be anyway so yeah so that's that's the that's the thing if you can get work for example if you're into video games and you've played your entire life playing video games and you can make those funny you will make a fortune the amount of conferences that's the thing it's about networking it's about finding the people who are organising events and going I do this and they go oh I haven't thought of that that's a good idea so I mean the Dunwich Picture Gallery is great because they just emailed me out of random so that was entirely Google they found me and that's how it happened but and also it gets you the more you specialise the more you find your niche the more you'll find oh well that's the person a journalist will go to for that reason 
so you'll get press doing it. So I landed, you know, a job of making history on BBC Radio Four simply because I was doing podcasts about history. Yeah, I guess it all all stuff begets stuff. Yeah. Awesome. So you, were you at uni when you started doing your first set of gigs? Yeah. What were you like there? And if you met yourself back from there, back doing the early gigs, were you much different now? Do you think looking back or? Well, obviously all the gags are the same. Uh, <laughs> no, um, I, I was... Your hair was pink, I think. Yeah, my hair was pink. Um, I, I was very, very interested in appearing clever. So I'm not very. I was very interested in that. Much more interested in appearing clever than I was in appearing funny. Ah. So there was that. That was a bit of an issue. And I'm also also trying to go, well, I'm a 19-year-old girl. I know what people like. I wanted to be liked, so I know what people like about 19-year-old girls. They like them all giggly and happy. And so you'd work backwards, what do people want, and try and service that? Well, yeah, but you naturally do it. So I, was, I still stoop on stage, and I hate it. I hunch. I want to be like... I'm literally going through a stage of training myself to stand up straight and own the room and not try and cover my tits up, which is also what, you know, a lot of women have back issues because we spend constant time just trying to cover our breasts. Whereas what we should be doing is back up, sat straight, moves straight out, because that is the way that your body naturally would carry yourself. However, we don't do that because if we do that, blokes are blokes. Oh, don't blame me. <laughs> well, you get, you know... If you... Yeah, it's fine taken. <laughs> so there is a... There is a... And also I was very... So wolf whistling, like this is a semi-serious point, wolf whistling indirectly leads to terrible back problems in later life. Yeah. Who would have thought that? <laughs> Anybody with boobs. Right, yeah. <laughs> oh. But yeah, it's... um. So I was I was doing the like me, like me thing, do the, oh, aren't I clever thing, please like me, because it's the only thing I know. And I, it, I was very needy on stage. Was it like, were you pretty much... Were you much different on stage to off stage? I think I think I've always had that. So I was I was very much in my head. I have to get these jokes out at this time, no matter what happens. Far in the room, it doesn't matter. This pun is important. You know, that's that's what would happen. And as a result, the good shows I remember were the shows where I just didn't care. The moment I stopped caring. Gosh, I was funny. The moment I started caring again, if there was an agent in the room, if there was a competition, it was awful. Because I was like, it's I have to trying do this. hard, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Whereas if I just relaxed a bit and just gone, I'll just drop that, I'll do this. But it takes a certain amount of stage hours before you have that. See, now I'm much more comfortable in front of a room of people with a microphone than I am one-on-one. Because one-on-one... I'm not in control. Conversation could go anywhere. It's awkward. I, could, I can't tell if you like me or not. Room full of people, I can tell if they like me if they're laughing. Yeah, the rules on stage are much... And that's what I love about stand-up is that under... When I get off stage, I think to myself often, under what other experiences would I... Uh, like, circumstances would have been allowed to get away with behaving like that. I've pratted around for 10 to 15 minutes and probably been rewarded for it. Whereas, like, you can't do that without being shunned well, that's what I find it because if before I go on stage if I'm at a gig because I, I don't know when to shut up often and I'm very loud but I try and shut up because nothing's worse than those comics who are doing their set in the blooming bar before the show and you just think but there's always that little part of you that wants to do that I find yeah there is 
it's there's certain comics where you travel to gigs with and you get their set all the way down and you get the I find if you're ever stuck with the loads of comedians in the car and they're all going well I've done this have you done this gig have you done this gig the way to move the conversation on is to go no I haven't that's amazing I don't know how you got in there you must be oh, really brilliant. funny <laughs> if you do that then they feel great and then you can talk about whatever you like or you pretend not to know. Sorry, what's Mock the Week? I've never heard of it. That upsets them. No, Maybe that's no, not no, the clever no, thing no, to no, do. That's the opposite. You can't do that to their egos. You've got to go, oh, you're auditioning for Paramount. That's really amazing. No, that's amazing. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could do that. Because there's no point showing off as well, is there? Because that's just like... <laughs> that becomes a competition. All it, is, all it is is, I don't want you thinking I'm shit because I'm not getting any money for this gig. That's all they're saying. When, when, when you're in a car with a headline and an open mic, you know, and an open micer and you're the MC and then you've got an opener in yeah you're right car. I've had those thoughts but I, I, I really really I don't think I always succeed but I try and suppress that and just talk normally <laughs> like. but the thing exactly the thing is no headliner who's a decent human being which I think might be only a percentage of them but no headliner is ever going to think less of you as a human being for not being as funny as them yet <laughs> that isn't you know yeah because like nobody thinks nobody thinks oh my god you spent three years on the open mic circuit you must be crap well if they think that they're idiots and it doesn't really matter everybody's got their own path everybody's got their own journey (laughs) Um, but it, it really ultimately you walk on on the same stage that evening you face the same crowd and if you are funny you are funny if you are not funny it doesn't really matter and also if you're not the headliner and you're like I think British as a whole they love an underdog because yeah. if you're an underdog if you don't do very well then oh you were never meant to but if you do well that's better than being there because if the headliner does well well they've done their job well done whereas like if the underdog does well that's that's an amazing thing I've had to follow as a headliner some very very good middle acts and some of them I've not done as well I think I was doing I was, I was closing the Screaming Blue Murder and the middle act was just amazing and it was also one of those nights where you know this is Izzy rationalising why she didn't have a great gig when she should have done but it was a case of middle act blows the doors off the place opens as well MC as well middle act blows the doors off the place 20 minute break me and the 20, I went on stage about 20 past 10 which is slightly late the crowd had already had their big laugh ultimately if I'd been running that show I'd have gone hey that last act was amazing let's stop the show at 10 o'clock but no we, we carry on and Izzy does 40 minutes the first 20 are great the last 20 are iffy because you know that is the nature of the beast because they were tired that's the thing that you see a lot of comics fail at in Edinburgh during their first hour shows is they're too funny at the top they, they are really funny for 25-30 minutes and the audience shuts up to tie so and they'll literally just go 30 minutes of laughter 30 minutes of laughter people's dying laughing and then no laughter because they've finished they're exhausted and I guess they're seeing five shows a day or whatever then well it's not even that it is literally you I've seen headliners who do 50 minutes suddenly stop being funny so they do 45 minutes and everybody's like woo and then the other five minutes and the last five minutes they die I guess I'll only see an hour long show if, if I'm in Edinburgh and that's, that's all you do up there 
anyway there's not much else to do or it's a comedian I know so I I tend to sit there and listen because that's who they are and I don't get tired do you never have that thing just go I do a bit probably middle of the show I'll zone out a bit but if they do something totally different I'll I'll perk up a bit that's the difference middle of the show you zone out that's because they've built in that lull so comics will usually do really funny first five to ten minutes or maybe a gradual going up to the first 15 minutes then for 15 to 30 minutes they will introduce a lull or they'll tell a long story or they'll be it'll break up the pace some of them physically move around the stage to a different spot so it's about varying pace not varying funny yeah but that does vary the funny because it varies the type of laughter you can't go boom 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 with gags so I guess even if they're brilliant gags if they're tired it's not going to land is it yeah so you've got to watch somebody like Jimmy Carr or even Ken Dodd Ken Dodd does three and a half hours of gags with his musicians even now he's doing yeah. those blooming long shows yeah. amazing and he will he will lose the audience but not give he just doesn't seem to notice his magi- musicians are falling asleep behind him literally on stage they're asleep while he's still <laughs> doing gags because they're you know they're old boys he's a machine he is a machine and I think that, but there is definitely you could you know next time you see you know some preview shows or whatever just take a little notebook and just work out where the lulls are where the timing is and you can work out there is a structure to most shows it, it's just useful if you're getting nerdy about comedy to actually you know watch a headline set work out where their material breaks are and what works and what doesn't you can actually analyse it quite well but one more thing we've got to touch on yeah. before, you, well, before you actually go off to jiu-jitsu yeah. is that you do jiu-jitsu as well so that's yeah. your main other hobby because yeah. I find my two favourite things in the world now I've discovered are doing comedy running the comedy club and, and climbing and <laughs> not being able to count there's three, there's three love the comedy club and the doing comedy together same genre uh, and then doing rock climbing because I find one helps the other in a way because if I just stuck to climbing which I did for a while you go mad and I nearly quit climbing and if you stick to comedy I'd find I'd go mad because I'd, I'd nearly stop doing comedy for a while because it was all getting a, a bit much do you find one helps the other just because it's totally different or is there just no sort of relationship at all between the two activities um, they're almost exactly the same the reason you like climbing and like stand up is they're both adrenaline sports you're an adrenaline junkie see I don't think I'm I think I'm too cautious to like adrenaline no I don't. no you like same reason you probably like being spanked <laughs> but it is it is that like doing jiu-jitsu is a lot about being thrown over people's heads and having like yesterday I had two men and run at me with a metal chain and I had to get rid of them and get the sorry was this the Saturday night gig was this uh, no, no. <laughs> Brentwood on a Friday or was this jiu-jitsu this is jiu-jitsu oh. on, a, on a Monday <laughs> uh, but yeah so that, that's the sort of thing that you do but, so the, the, the thing is you have that spike of adrenaline but also doing my style of jiu-jitsu is much like doing a comedy gig so you, I will be stood in surrounded by by 10 to 12 people each armed with different weapons and they'll attack me one at a time that is you know until the sensei says stop and I will use my various techniques and various throws and various locks to disarm them and face the next one now when I'm on stage 
I will face an audience, hopefully more than 10 to 12 people, but I'll face an audience. There will be a different audience night to night, the audiences I face. That Some parts of the audience will like certain gags, some parts of the audience will work. I'll have to use my different techniques, my different material, my different um, jokes to play with them and work them and make it all beautiful and look seamless. And the actual learning how to do that is all about timing, it's all about application, and it's all about being as calm as possible and being in the moment as much as possible. And both of them, I would say anybody who does jiu-jitsu would be quite a natural comedian and anybody who does comedy would love to do martial arts. So weird. I wouldn't have thought there was any kind of similarity at all. They're identical. In my head anyway. But, you know... One you do in pyjamas and the other you don't, I suppose. Oh. There is that. But you, how long have you been doing jiu-jitsu? And you de- I, my understanding is you didn't do much sport or like sport at all. What suddenly thought, you know what, I'm going to do sport? I basically... I, my back started playing up, so I needed to grow some back muscle and I didn't want to go down the gym because I found the gym intimidating, boring. And It I, is boring. It yeah. is so boring. It's boring when you don't have goals. When you give yourself goals and you give yourself a target, you do classes, that's the thing. I find it more fun. But um, it's only because my goals are new belt, shiny, you know, um, got to do a grading, that sort of thing. That's when, you know, you get into it a bit more. But I, I do, I'm, yeah, so I started because I needed to exercise, either that or go on painkillers the rest of my life. So I thought, exactly, do some exercise, do something different. And I just loved it. And so, but out of all the things you could have done, why jujitsu? Out of all the non-traditional sports, all the all the not gym stuff you could do, what? Do you have a friend that did it, or did you just um, look, find it, in a, a, find a leaflet? No, what happened? I listened to lots of podcasts. So I listened to Joe Rogan's podcast, and he does Brazilian jiu-jitsu so I was thinking oh maybe I should try Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and I looked it up and there aren't really many clubs close but there was a lot of Japanese Jiu-Jitsu clubs so I thought I'll give that a go and I liked it so I stuck with it and the thing with me is I'm, I'm one of these and I think it's quite common in comics quite an obsessive person I will do something very intensely I don't tend to half-arse things I tend to go okay okay we're doing this so when I get into something it happens quite a lot to the detriment of everything else in my life it's good that's the problem is it finding time to do everything and not spread because oh, there's no point doing If I guess if you try to do everything you'll do everything really badly and it must be hard to pick what you want to do well yeah because I'm so talented in every discipline <laughs> it's very difficult but uh, it is hard to be honest to do that but um, I'm really annoyed cause I'm missing nationals this year because I've got gigs in the nationals is in jiu-jitsu competitions yeah or- and it, my, my heart says, do the nationals. Don't go down and do a birth control gig in the southeast. That'd be rubbish. But I know I like doing the gigs. That'd be good. But anyway, so, yeah. When in doubt, what I really like is I don't... Jiu-Jitsu has made me not need comedy as much because they do fill in that different parts of my brain. It's made me go, oh, being funny is not everything about me doesn't say everything about me as a person and guess what because I stopped caring about being funny as much it makes me funnier oh, mm. oh, so I'm, yeah I'm awesomely super funny can I plug my website yeah I was gonna I was gonna subtly let, lead you into that but oh, uh, okay. don't start it <laughs> okay so if you go to izzy.com that's the easiest thing to do I do several podcasts I do 
a podcast called The Z-List Deadlist about obscure people from history. I do the British Museum member cast, which is about plaster cast penises. No, it's not. Uh, it is a, it is, it's basically British Museum podcast, but they call it the member cast. And then I do one called Seti Sopo, which is where me and my friend Simon discuss the opposite of things that don't have a natural opposite. For example, what's the opposite of motorways? Tarama Salata. It's fun. Um, it's like the, the niche of all niches podcast. Indeed, but weirdly people like it. So I, I do those podcasts. I also do the Women's Fitness podcast. But you can find out about all of these at iszi.com. So izzy.com. Cool. Thank you, Izzy, very much. That was an encore performance from Izzy Lawrence. Part one is, uh, in fact, episode one of this podcast. Well worth going back. In fact, while you're at it, go download all of them and write us a nice review on iTunes. It will take you all of two minutes, but you don't understand uh, how much of a difference it actually makes. Because for every review, we get boosted up the iTunes charts and we get more pairs of ears on this podcast. I'm actually recording this podcast in my bedroom so I need all the help I can get I haven't got a big media company behind me I've just got you guys the stand and deliver listeners and I'm very grateful to you so any help uh, if you don't use iTunes review me somewhere else or recommend uh, this podcast to a friend uh, and uh, yeah bit by bit we shall build this podcast into something magical before I leave and uh, wrap up this podcast or albeit fold it neatly and put it back in my audio airing cupboard uh, it's where I store my podcasts uh, safe as place for them uh, i ought to tell you that the next show at the stand and deliver comedy club is on the 12th of april we're of course up above smoking billies in reading right in the middle of town our headliner is jay cowell he's absolutely awesome i saw his edinburgh show a couple of years ago and i've been meaning to book him ever since then and he's brilliant and daniel aldrich will be hosting it he's absolutely fantastic he's lots of writing credits written for a lot of big tv shows and is a very funny uh, and personable host and he'll just uh, get things off to a wonderful start i'm sure we've also got dan mayo supporting and uh, well mango stone she's going to be excellent and more acts as well a whole raft uh, we try and book like a whole range of, of people because comedy is quite subjective uh, so if you don't like one act then you'll probably enjoy the next one we, we but try and book uh, an act for almost every taste uh, as far as we can uh, but yeah it'll be a fun evening 12th of april tickets on sale now uh, go to facebook.com forward slash stand and deliver comedy night or check the links in the description of this episode i suppose i better give you a couple of highlights from my very own gig diary i'm all over the place at the moment on the we'll, we'll start a bit ahead uh, 28th of march i'm at the talking heads in southampton and uh, that'll be fun never gigged in that particular venue in southampton before and then 30th of march uh, i am taking part in the longest running comedy show at rock the attic in banbury this is absolutely mad they're trying to go for the longest comedy show ever i'm performing twice uh, both on the friday first at 2 30 in the morning and uh, then again at the rather more civilized 10 20 p.m i mean whether i make it to that performance all depends on what happens at the 2 30 a.m performance uh, but no i will be there and it's all raising money for the Catherine house hospice so it is all going to a local charity it's not just us being bonkers there is a serious point to it and it will be an awful lot of fun a whole bank holiday full of comedy mayhem 
And then I mentioned it earlier, on the 7th of April, I'm in the Epsom Playhouse, which is just such a great venue for comedy. It's around 80 seats. They sit the audience in a nice semicircle. It's really cool. And I'm supporting Pete K. Malley's Live and Loud. And then I'm at Bear Jokes, where I will be supporting Darren Walsh. That's in London. Uh, more information, just go to rodders.com, R-H-O-D-D-E-R-S.com. All right, that's pretty much it. Thanks very much for listening. And I'll see you on the next episode of the podcast. Podcast.